are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. All right, if you want to take out your Bibles, and uh, you can also go to the Riverside app and look under the live event tab there, find the notes for today. We're going to be continuing in part two of this series, Pack Your Bags. And uh, we're going to be in the uh, Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. There are some notes in your bulletins. If you like to take notes, if you want to follow along there, you can as well. And uh, we're going to, in this part two, we're going to be talking, continuing this idea of packing for the journey. What are the essential things that you need when you go on a trip, on vacation, and you recreate, and you're rejuvenating, and spiritually, what are the things that we need to take as we pack our bags? And today we're going to be talking specifically about food for the journey. And uh, it's kind of uh, very appropriate that I would get to talk about this today, because quite literally, our bags are packed. The second I say amen, I'm walking out that door and my wife and my kids will be in the van and we have a 15-hour drive ahead of us out to see Amy's parents for the next couple of weeks, so we'll see you soon. But uh, if I don't stick around, if you're looking for me, I will be on the road for a three-day tour. (laughs) So we'll have a great time and I hope you have a next good couple of weeks as well and look forward to seeing you soon after this is all said and done. But I have got some stuff in my bags, in my bag here that's packed. And I'd like to give it away. So if you've come to church and you're saying, hey, I'm hungry. I'm your man today, all right? So I want you to think about the food that you like to take on the journey when you're traveling, okay? Think about your favorite snack food that you like to have or something like that. So I need some help here. I will be hurling things. So if you're asleep, if the person next to you is asleep, wake them up lest they get beamed in the head by something, Okay. So let's start out here. Who would like some chips? Okay, who goes on the... Here we go, right down here. All righty. Okay. Now, we got a banana. Who needs a banana? Okay, Lee Huffman, there you go. Heidi, are you ready? Here we go. Oh, yeah. All right, now, Mission Hall. Does anybody like pistachios out there? Anybody pistachios? There you go, Johnny. Everybody duck, pay attention. All righty. There we go. Okay. Ooh, these will be fun to throw. Apples. <laughs> Going deep. <laughs> All right, here's one. Okay. Here we go. Are we ready? Everybody ready? Here we go. Oh, yeah. Woohoo. Okay, now, typically we don't like point out guests, okay? But I have something in here that's my favorite thing to take on the journey, and I'd really love to be able to give this to a guest. So if you're a first-time visitor, first-time guest with us, or you say, no way am I going to ever acknowledge that, but I, the person that brought me will acknowledge that, okay? You can do that too. Do we have anybody who's a first-time guest or you brought a first-time guest with you? Would you slip up your hands? Let me see here. We got somebody, okay, right here, right here. Yes. Welcome to Riverside. You get a gift. Come back again. There'll be more stuff, I'm sure. All right. So now, our tech booth guys, you guys are always serving back there. You need something to share, don't you? Yes, I'm seeing the head nodding up and down. How about some Swedish fish? Okay, come on down. Somebody from the tech booth, come on down. You guys need some help. We got a little bit more here. Any Reese's Pieces fans? Okay, there we go. All right. There you go. There you go. Hooked you up. Now you got to share that, all right? 
Okay. And last but not least, Mission Hall. I need you guys' help again. Anybody like chocolate chip, peanut crunch, cliff bars? Going deep, Andy. Wake up. Oh, almost. Okay. Sermon's over. Let's go home. <laughs> Food for the journey. All right. Exodus chapter 12 is where we're going to get going here this morning. We're going to be talking ultimately about the idea of communion. Last week, Pastor Bill talked about the the need that we have to have um, water on the journey. And we talked about baptism and we talked about people being baptized, what that means to us and how important that is as we get started on our journey. The other thing that Jesus really left, left us behind, another command, an authoritative rule that he gave to us was that we were to remember him by joining around the supper, the Lord's Supper. And you'll see we've got several places for you to be able to do that in just a little while. That's where we're going to be headed. But I want to connect the dots here so that you understand, because we do this on a monthly basis. Maybe you grew up in environments where you did this every single week or you did it a lot. And it became just kind of a ritual, something that you just always did. And maybe you've kind of lost the meaning behind it or you've never never even heard, hey, we do this, but why do we do this? That's what we're going to try to unpack here together this morning. The context for Exodus chapter 12 is this. The nation of Israel has been in slavery. They've been in bondage to the Egyptians for over 400 years. God has now sent the, the man Moses to help them to become free. If you've seen it in the movies over the years, you know, let my people go. The whole interaction between Moses and Pharaoh, the king of of Egypt, and it gets ugly, it gets bad, and God sends a series of plagues to help motivate the Egyptians to let the Israelites be able to leave and get out of this bondage and slavery that they're in. He sends 10 plagues. If you remember them, the blood and the frogs and the gnats and the flies and the livestock and the boils and the hail and the locusts and the darkness. And if that weren't all bad enough, now we get to the point where it's the plague of the firstborn. And the firstborn child and the firstborn um, livestock animal is going to be killed here on this night. And it's an ugly mess in Egypt. But God is doing what he needs to do to be able to free his people. And so we pick it up in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 1. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me. I'm going to read some verses, and we do this in honor of God's word, and uh, we'll pick it up in verse 1. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. And it, we would know it as the month of Nisan. It's the um, uh, first time that that word appears in there, that, that idea concept is giving, God's giving them that. And that is our, you know, on our calendar, it'd be like mid-March to mid-April. It's also a car that you can drive. Okay. So this month will be the first month of the year for you on the 10th day. That's going to be important in just a minute. The 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. So here's the whole thing that God is saying, and he's doing this, and he's going to be reminding them moving forward of all that he's doing in bringing them out of slavery and bondage. And look at what it says here. This is kind of where we get this idea of packing our bags, being ready to go the night of Passover. Here's what happens. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. 
wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. In other words, have your bags packed, be ready to go because after I've done what I'm going to do, you're going to be in a journey and you're going to need to remember all this stuff moving forward. Eat the meal with urgency for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male among animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute, and here's the real reason for all of this, judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the, uh, but the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will, what does it say there? Passover. That's where we get this idea of Passover that Jesus would be celebrating with his disciples on his final night. I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So you fast forward all those years, and that's exactly what we find Jesus and his disciples in the upper room, remembering and commemorating what Jesus was pointing back to. And what we're going to see is this exact event. And that's where we're going to move as we head forward and seeing the power of this. So in just a moment, I want you to have a seat. But before you have a seat, I want to encourage you to tell the neighbor next to you what snack I was missing. What what would you have had in your bag? All right. So the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread actually combined together by the time of the days of Jesus to make an eight-day celebration, which began with Passover that was one day. And technically that was celebrated on the first day, the 14th of Nisan, this mid-April to, uh, mid-March to mid-April uh, month. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was then for the next several days from the 15th through the 21st. And it was not by coincidence that Jesus initiated the communion rites during the Feast of Passover, during this meal. God instituted the Passover when he delivered, we read that already, when he delivered the Israelites from 400 years of physical slavery and bondage to the nation of of Egypt. The Passover that they celebrated in the Old Testament represented the physical deliverance of the nation of Israel. But the night that Jesus instituted the communion that we now remember as the Lord's Supper, he was changing all of that. He transformed that into a celebration of a permanent and spiritual deliverance of a new covenant. Jesus gave his disciples this new practice of communion as a way of helping them to remember and observe because now they could celebrate Not only looking back and seeing the physical deliverance of the nation of Israel, but now they could celebrate their own spiritual deliverance as Jesus would go to the cross, he would give his life for them, and they would no longer have to be bound by the slavery of sin and the bondage of that ugliness that we all wrestle with from time to time. And so that's what we're looking at as we pick this up in Luke chapter 22. I want to walk us through Luke's account that night. You can read Matthew, Mark, and John's. Each one have a little bit of a different flavor. John brings in a whole cool stuff, whole cool set of thoughts about how Jesus um, washed his disciples' feet that night. He showed them what it means to be a servant and the way that he did that. We're going to look at Luke here, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 7. Then the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb 
had to be sacrificed. That day finally came, and it was time for them to do this. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. So they prepared the Passover. Now, Peter and John, or excuse me, yeah, Peter and John, they had a lot to do that day. They had to get the lamb, and interestingly, again, according to what we read, on the 10th day of the month, they were to have selected that lamb to be sacrificed. The year that Jesus was crucified, that would have fallen on a Monday. And so the very day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the lamb who would eventually be slain, they were picking their lamb. They didn't even know what was coming, but they were picking their lamb that day, and they were supposed to hang on and care for that lamb, take special care, this lamb that would have no defects. They would pick that on Monday. So now it's their turn. Now they've got to get stuff ready. They had to get that lamb to the temple where it had to be sacrificed by a, by a priest. Probably between 3 and 5 p.m. that day, they would have been doing that. Not only did they have to do that, they had to buy and prepare the unleavened bread, the bitter herbs, the wine, and the dip, and all of those things. And a part of this that's so cool is that that night that they were together... As a part of the Passover meal, they would have remembered what God said to the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 6 and and verses 6 and 7. There would have been four cups of wine that they would have used that night as a part symbolic of of four different promises that God had given the nation of Israel. And I want you to notice them there in verses 6 and 7. We'll put them in your notes. This is what it says. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will, here's the first one, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. The second one is, I will free you from being slaves to them. The third one is, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And then verse seven, I will take you. There's the last one. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the, under the yoke of the Egyptians. So they would have had all of that responsibility to get things ready, those four cups of wine, remembering the idea that he's going to bring them out, he's going to free them, he's going to redeem them, and he's going to take them as his own people. That would have been a part of this. And so we pick it up in verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Everything that Jesus was doing that night would fulfill in that time what needed to be fulfilled. But he's talking about things that will happen in the future that are still yet to be fulfilled. And I love what it says there. I think out of all of this story, what jumped out at me this week as I was studying was how eager Jesus was to be there. How eager he was to celebrate this with with them, though he was headed to the most horrific death that any person would ever know. And the ugliness of the cross and the brutal torture and the shame and the anguish that he was about to experience, when you think about that in light of what he says, how could anybody be eager to experience that dinner knowing what was coming afterwards? Yet Jesus, full of courage, was able to do that. And when we receive the elements, notice what it says. He says that it's going to be, I'm doing this with you before I suffer. When we receive these elements, a part of what we're called to do is to remember the price that Jesus paid, the provision of the forgiveness of our sin, and the purpose of all this was to redeem us to himself. 
This isn't the picture of an ugly God who hates us, who doesn't want to have anything to do with us. This is the picture of a God who loves us and sent Jesus to die in our place. And he willingly suffered for you and for I. And we should be able to take in again the benefits of being his children and being able to enjoy this experience when we do this. Though it cost him everything, it's the free gift of eternal life to all of us who would choose to be a follower, who would choose to receive what Jesus did on our behalf. This reminds us of the brutal torture, the horrific nails pierced through his hands and feet, the flogging, the, f- the flesh torn, the beard ripped, the crown of thorns, and all of the ugliness of the cross and all the ugliness the humanity could throw at him. All of this is encompassed when we go to the table and we remember what Jesus did for each and every one of us. It goes on and says in verse 17, After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now Luke mentions two. Remember I said there were four cups. Luke specifically mentions two of the cups. And this one would have been the first cup of the evening. This would have been the cup of thanksgiving. It says he, he, gave, he took it and he gave thanks. And it represented the end of the time in which he would eat and drink with them, with his apostles, with his disciples, until he would come back again. He was done with the Passover meal. And when we receive these elements, we should worship the Lord for his sustaining power. We should thank him just like Jesus does here. We should thank the Lord for his mercy. When we should remember again about the benefits of being his children, being his adopted sons and his adopted daughters. And that should cause us to just have this overwhelming sense of gratitude and appreciation that the longer we do this and the more often we do it, it's, it's hard to keep that fresh in our minds. And so that's why we're taking the time today to remind ourselves of all that Jesus did as we go to the Lord's table. Verse 19, it goes on and he says, he took the bread, he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Simply, we tell you this every month that we do this, the body of of Christ is represented in in the bread. And Passover had looked forward up until this night of Jesus' death Up until that point, Passover had always looked forward to the sacrifice of the Messiah. Now, Jesus says, now it'll always be looking back in appreciation. You'll always be doing this in remembrance of what I have done. And he's changing things up as he goes through this. And you know, this week as I was thinking about his body and the bread that we eat, and I remember very clearly the first Sunday Amy and I were actually interviewing Uh, to come here 15 years ago. You may have heard me tell this story, but we had two services at that time, just one location. And we'd never experienced the bread that we eat. It was a religious experience the first time we ate it. You know, it was uh, like it tasted so good. I'd only had the dry wafers or the styrofoam stuff. You know what I'm talking about, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. That's all I'd had up until this point. And so we were sitting there and we went through the first service and we're candidating and, you know, checking the church out. The church is checking us out, trying to see if this is a fit. And I'll never forget we were done with the service and Amy leaned over. We'd had communion that day and Amy leaned over and she said, I'm so glad there's another service. That bread was so good. (laughs) And uh, it was like a a spiritual experience. And I was thinking about that this week when I was reflecting on the body of Christ. And 
in no way, shape, or form do I, I, I you know, it's a funny story because it was, you know, between us and it was funny. But it, I am so grateful to those of you who have baked the bread for years and years and years and years here. And we put your names in there this time because of the people that are currently doing that. So if you look in your bulletin over at the left-hand side, there's a little box there. There's a group of people that, you know, when I came in this morning, I didn't just go, God, show up communion now. <laughs> Okay, that didn't happen, all right? People had to bake that bread, cut that bread. That's a two or three day process. And then they had to bring it in and we had to get it all out there and people not only bake it and and when you see the names in there, but there are a group of people that prepare it, Libby and Bill and Jamie and Palma and Tricia and Mike and Denise, all these different people in both locations. Many of you throughout the years have done that. And I want us to show our appreciation to people who bake that and prepare that every week so that we can receive the Lord's communion. Thank you very much. If you'd like to be a part of that, there's information in your bulletin. You can certainly jump in on that and be able to serve the body in that way. That's a tremendous opportunity to serve behind the scenes. And uh, I just want to express my gratitude. So, the body of Christ, the bread. Verse 20 goes on and says, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This is the third cup, the third cup of blessing. And this is the cup of redemption that Jesus takes here. The picture of communion reminds us that God is still in the business of making all things new. According to what we know about what happened the rest of the night there, Jesus never drank the fourth cup. And I believe that's because he is going to drink the fourth cup one day with all of us when all things have been restored when all things have been made new, when the work that he began at the cross is fully realized in the world, not just in our spirits and our souls, but at the full level of all that redemption involves. When Jesus takes that cup and he holds it, this is redemption, this is symbolic and representative, my blood going to make all things new. Do this every time, every time in remembrance of me. And then... That drives home kind of our central thought that when we pack our bags spiritually, when we do that for the long haul over the course of our lives, communion reminds us that his body and his blood sustain us for the journey. We weren't meant to do this all alone. We need each other in communion monthly or weekly or how often, as long as you are doing it with an intentional purpose to remember him and you're not doing it just because it's something to do, when it's become a ritual or a rite, then the, then the power of it is emptied out of it and it's just something that you do and you don't even think about what you're doing. Today we want to draw our attention again to it. And the worship that night would have been a part of all that. As I told you at the beginning of the services this morning, we, we've been posting the Hallel Psalms. There were praise psalms that would be sung as a part of this or read as a part of it. And they would start in Psalm 113, probably do 1 and 13, 114 before they started the meal. And then they would have offered that cup of thanks that we, that we talked about. And then they would have concluded with Psalm 118. Interestingly enough, Matthew's account of this story of Jesus in the upper room that night. It says in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30, they all sang a song and they went out to... Uh, the Mount of Olives after that. And as I was reading through and studying this week and thinking about what that psalm must have looked like for Jesus, 
it was Psalm 118, and we put two different passages in your notes. You can take a look at those. The first one is, is the Apostle Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and that's kind of a summary of all that we're talking about here today. One of uh, the first preachers or first missionaries or first church leaders was the Apostle Paul. He summarized all that we're talking about in that one text there in, in 1 Corinthians 11, and it gives us a really good summation of all that this involves. And it challenges us to examine ourselves, to look within us, to see where we are in our relationship with God so that we don't do this in an unworthy way. But then we also put on the back side of the notes, Psalm 118. And I want to draw your attention to just some of the verses that are there, because as I was reading them this week, they just brought tears to my eyes. I hadn't thought about how that must have been for Jesus to sing this psalm that night. And just two or three lines down, I want to pick it up in where it says, in my distress. All right, so I'm going to read just a couple of lines here. But I want you to think about, again, you're there with Jesus that final night. The apostles, they can't understand. They don't understand what's about to happen. Jesus sings this hymn after he said, my body, my blood given for you. Do this in remembrance to me. He knows he's about to go and it's all going to unravel. And here's what he's singing or here's what he's praying. In my distress... I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Think about what's about to be done to him and the level of faith that this must have taken to pray this and to look at this. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. That takes on a whole new level of meaning when you look at it through the lens of he's about to be betrayed. He's about to be beaten. He's about to be flogged and spit upon and his beard torn and the whole mess of the cross and all of the anguish suffocating to death, suspended between heaven and earth for you and for me. And he's saying, I'm putting my all my trust and all my faith in my heavenly father as he goes to the cross. So it's time for us to head to the table. And in your bulletins today, you'll see in the top left-hand, kind of the left-hand corner of the first blurb, you'll see some information there. If you're a guest today and you're wondering, you know, can I be a part of this? That describes a little bit about kind of our philosophy on that. Some churches that you go into, you have to be a member, a regular attender to be able to do that. That's not the case here at Riverside. But we would ask you to be a follower of Jesus. We would ask you to have trusted in him and what he did at the cross for you and not your own best efforts, not your own works, not your own... Um, religiosity, being a religious person, trying to be a good person. None of us are going to really get there. So we put our faith in the one who gave his life for us. And if you've done that, we invite you to come to the table. We want to encourage you to join us there. For all of us, this is, these next few moments are a time of personal reflection, a time for us to seek God and to prepare ourselves, to look to him for forgiveness, to remind ourselves again of all that he did in giving his life for us. So in just a moment, minute, the worship team, they're going to come and I'm going to pray. And then um, after that, they'll lead us in some songs. And as they do, when you're ready, we want to encourage you to just step out and go to one of the tables. We're not going to pass them today. We're not going to do it all at one time. You're going to have plenty of time. We're going to sing three or four songs. We're going to have some other scripture reading. You're going to have your own pace. You've got plenty of time. There are two stations that are going to be out there. If you're in the back and you want to go back there, that's fine. You can do that. 
There's one over here and one over here. There's one right there and there's one in the back of Mission Hall. You can go back there as well. Whenever and however you're ready, that's when you can go. You can find a place to kneel here. You can find a place to kneel in your seats. You can stand. You can, you know, go sit in the back back there. You can do it by yourself. You can do it with somebody that's around you there. You can pray, you know, however, we're not in a hurry here. We're not in a rush. We want to take time. We've designed this environment specifically for you and your heavenly father, for you to be able to take in again the benefits of being his son and his daughter and thanking Jesus as he is worthy of. So I'm going to ask if you would to just bow your hearts. I'm going to pray. And we're going to go to God. Father, I want to thank you for sending Jesus. I want to thank you, worship you, and exalt you, for you are worthy. And as these texts have reminded us again this morning, spiritually, as we pack our bags, we recognize, Lord, that your body and your blood sustain us for the journey spiritually. There is a sense in which we are filled up again spiritually when we come to your table. And so, Lord, we need to ask you to forgive us. We need to ask you to cleanse us. We've made mistakes. We've wronged each other. We've hurt ourselves. We've distanced ourselves from you. You haven't gone anywhere, but we tend to wander. So like sheep without a shepherd, we come back to you. We ask you to forgive us. We ask you to wash us clean. We ask you to apply again what you did at the cross, the work of redemption that we might come to you by faith today, putting our trust and our hope in you. I pray, Father, that whatever darkness that we're carrying, whatever burdens that we're bearing, whatever shame that we've uh, taken on, whatever sense of less than that we might have, that we would be reminded that as your sons and daughters, we are precious in your sight. Jesus, that you came to be that new covenant that we don't have to to continually sacrifice in the old ways, but we have a new way of trusting in you once and for all the work that you did at the cross. Thank you for coming willingly. Thank you for the chance that we'll have one day when it's all made new again to sit down and drink that cup with you and celebrate all that you are and all that you've made us to be. As we go to the table today, Lord, I pray that we would do so with true and deep gratitude and sincere appreciation for all that you've done for us. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.